It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show as we continue through the book of Genesis. Before we do, another clue for our quiz. And then we're going to find out what you had to say about the first half of the show. Yeah, for sure. Another clue for the quiz. I told Mary that she would give birth to the Son of God. So this person is talking to talking to everyone, talking to Zechariah, talking to Daniel, talking to Mary. They must be must be a real kind of talker, maybe some kind of messenger of some sorts. But zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do, then you will go into the draw to win Growing in Jesus Volumes One and Two by Mark and Ernestine Finley, which will be drawing uh, at eight around eight forty five a.m. this morning. All right, let's go over to text messages and let's see what you had to say. Uh, Braden says this, There is only one mega church we should be part of, and that is the one God is going to set up on his return and will be the only successful church run by three people in one, God. God commanded us to go and tell the world, not huddle in one area to grow in worldly comforts. Mm. Very, very well put. And, of course, the Bible describes that over in the book of uh, Hebrews. In fact, uh, if you go to, let me just see here, Hebrews 12. Let me look that up for you because the Bible talks about the church that we need to be a part of. And it is Hebrews chapter 12, round about the middle of the chapter. Where are we? Here, verse 22. The Bible says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to mm. God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's a mega church right there. Mm. Because that's a church that uh, encompasses everyone on earth and in heaven and in the rest of the universe who is a part of God's church. That's mm. the one that we need to be. That's the mega church we need to be a part of. In between now and then, we can be part of our local churches, but that's the that's the mega one. Mm. Okay, High Breakfast Team, Shadowlands is a great movie about C.S. Lewis starring Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Mark Sitton's that one, too. I've never seen the movie, but uh, we've got one vote there for it. Mm. Have you ever seen it, Lawson? Nope. There you go. Maybe we need to. I'm not. I'm not a crazy C.S. Lewis guy. Like I've never re- read. Like I've read the Chronicles of Narnia. I've listened to the radio play, but I've never read his Christian books. Have you watched any of the uh, animations of the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah. Uh no. I've just seen like the. I've listened to the radio play. I've read the book, and I've seen the movie. But Fair I've enough. never watched the animation. Is that like your medium? Is that like? Is that where you think it's the best? Um, I've. <laughs> I read the books when I was a teenager, uh-huh. and they were definitely uh, engrossing books as a teenager. Mm. I don't know how many moral lessons I learnt from the books. <laughs> I immersed myself in imagination. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I appreciate his apologetics. I think his apologetics mm. were absolutely outstanding. Yeah. And his testimony. Mm. All right, moving on from there, um, Lord Howe Island, rat free. I'm sure not too many islands can say that. Yeah. Maybe they can start on politicians next. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was about to say I'm like yeah, I don't know how many islands can say that. I'm like, well, every island that Lyle isn't in, which is that's rough. But you know, uh, interesting. That the next species the new world order wants to get rid of is humanity. Oh wow, that's not a joke. Well, it's interesting to look at that because you know when you look at uh, population projections for the next eighty years, mm. they show that in the developed world populations will absolutely crash. It's going to be interesting to see what that does to economies and mm. so forth, particularly if you look at places like Japan where they're expecting the population to halve in the next eighty years. Mm. 
So this is like wow, pretty full on. Uh, Facebook won't use your data. If you believe that, you'll believe anything. Uh, and then uh, the LGBT text, uh, that's real but sad. Let's pray for those families yeah. going through this issue. We certainly do need to be praying for parents with children who are trying to figure out how to educate their children because not every parent can homeschool and not every parent can afford private mm. school. I get that. It's a, it's just a terrible, terrible situation that mm. we find ourselves in. Another one on mega churches, uh, the leaders seem to become a god to their congregation. It will never work too long. Uh, goes into self-destruction mode. And this is this is so true. Mm. We see this happen over and over and over again. How many megachurches have we seen this happen with? And, you know, I guess we've only had megachurches for the last 20 or 30 years that they've been a really big thing. Mm. And what we've seen consistently is it doesn't matter where they stand on the political spectrum, where they stand on the spiritual spectrum, uh, the same thing happens is that too much reliance is placed on the pastor. Mm. And when the pastor comes unstuck, the church comes unstuck. Someone says about The Chosen, one of the best productions of Jesus' life I have ever seen. I watched the seasons many times. Obviously, I'm not the only one, but one of the 400 million. And uh, then about Josh Duggar, I wonder how many pastors and congregation members will lose their eternal life because of it. There is still time to repent. God will forgive you and give you the strength to stop. Jesus said, why will you die? He loves you. So those are our text messages. Yeah. Oh man, that was that was a. I hate stories like that. Lot. I know we need to talk about them, but I just they make <sighs> they actually make me queasy and they make me feel sick, and I just I just don't like it. And obviously, I'm I'm referencing like as Christians, we need to be open about the things that take place yeah, totally. within our religion, and we, we we could sit here and we could bash other religions all day long. Mm. Uh, but we need to be very, very open about what happens within Christianity because that's how we learn from it. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. I just hate talking about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just sad. It is. But we are going to get into, well... Yeah, while we're talking about scandals, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go to... Ooh, where are we up to? Genesis chapter 30. Yeah, basically 30 verse 1, right? No, we've, we've, we've talked about uh, uh, Bilhar's children and Leah's children and Rachel's maid's children, um, Zilpah's children. Uh, we've read a few of these verses. No, we haven't. Yes, we have. No, we have. We got to the end of 29 yesterday. 100% Lyle. 100%. I remember we I read, read the, about Leah. I read these verses. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'm happy All for right. you, Lyle. Go for it. Read them. Okay. So starting in chapter 30 and verse 1, when Rachel <coughs> saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Uh, then Jacob became furious with Rachel and said, am I God? He asked. He's the one who has kept you from having children. Then Rachel told him, take my mane. Bill her and sleep with her. She will bear children for me. And through her, I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. And Bilhah became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan. And she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Yeah, then Bilhah- except that when you read the... 
you know, the list of the tribes of spiritual Israel in Revelation chapter 7. There's no Dan. Yeah, there. Dan isn't included. Yikes. Dan, oh, some of the things that are said about Dan, you know, the, the world would be a vastly better place if Jacob had not made this mistake and Dan had not been born. 100%. I agree. Yes. Uh, then we get to verse 7. It says, Bilhah became pregnant again, and she gave Jacob a second son. Rachel, Rachel named him Naphtali. And she said, I have struggled hard with my sister, and I'm winning. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Not if, not if having children. How, how is this a win for her? Sure. This is not a win. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't understand. I mean, there must have obviously been a lot of pressure to have children back then. The, you know, a much greater pressure back then. A much greater self value back then in having children. Yeah. To yeah, it's just it's just this whole story is so incredibly messed up. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. It's very very rare that you find a situation where a husband is having an affair, uh-huh. which is what Jacob's doing, uh-huh. and the wife says, "Yay, I'm winning." Yeah, it is openly celebrating. That is messed up from both sides. You know, but it's really sad because this story continues on. And Leah, who, in my opinion, and as we've kind of surmised over uh, looking at her story, particularly yesterday, she, you know, she's on like a, a, a win streak of goodwill in terms of she's got it rough, but God is with her and she's, you know, take it on mother. Children left, right, and That's awesome. And then we get to the next verse and then it just, it becomes even sadder, this situation. Uh, When we pick it up in verse nine, it says, meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Jacob doesn't seem to be objecting to any of this any wrong. Yeah, dude, he's like totally complicit. Like he... Like yeah, it's really sad. It is terrible, and and the competition between these two girls, these two sisters, mm. the competition for their husband's affection. Mm. You know, because Leah doesn't have her husband's affection, but she does have children. Rachel does have her husband's affection, and doesn't have children. Mm. And so Rachel's like, well, you know, she gives her maid to Jacob to have children with her maid. And uh, that is somehow earning her brownie points with Jacob. And so Leah looks across and is like, well, Rachel's getting one up on me because she's given her maid to Jacob and she's been you know, willing to do that. So if I'm going to compete with her, then I have to do the same thing. And so she does the same thing. And Jacob is complicit in the whole thing. Mm. What a disaster of yeah. unimaginable proportions. Oh, this is terrible. This is ugh. Yeah. And it says, like, it, it continues on uh, in verse 11. It says, Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate I am. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son, and Leah named him Asher, for she said, what joy is mine, now the other woman will celebrate with me. Like, <laughs> yikes. This is terrible. Like, this is this is such, like, false celebrating, and every, everything about this is bad. I yeah. guess these kids are coming into the world, and that's, you know, the, the well, that's that's the, the, there's some beautiful children being born, mm. you know, and that's going to bring joy to this family. But there's not going to be much else that's going to be bringing joy to this family. This is going to be a family that always has a shadow over it, because none of these women are going to feel any kind of security in the love of their husband. Mm. 
Leah doesn't have it because her husband never loved her in the first place. Mm. Uh, Rachel doesn't have it because she feels that she needs to, you know, win her husband's affection by giving her husband her maid. Leah is then competing with Rachel. I mean, when Rachel gave her husband her maid, did she think she was giving something that Leah could never do? No, Leah has a maid as well. Mm. You know, and and now Ray, and now Jacob has four wives. Two of them are sisters. I just don't even know where to start with unpacking how awful this family is. And the be. spiral keeps going. Let's, let's, dude, this is, this is awful. Let's keep, continue reading. It says, One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them in uh, to his mother, Leah. Rachel begged Leah, Please give me some of the man- some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah uh, angrily replied, "Wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now you have to steal my son's mandrakes too." Rachel answered, "I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes." So that evening, Jacob was coming home from the fields, and Leah went out to meet him. And it's just like, okay, so what's like? It doesn't explicitly say that she gave it over, but by this response, we just know that it took place. And so, yeah, the rivalry continues, and it's just, it's just sad. But she ends up having more kids, actually, Leah, from this point forward. Um, but yeah, just. Yeah, okay, so Mandrakes, you know, and basically what you're getting into now is um, uh, drugs. Yeah. You know, drug use. It's just like, okay, how how much worse can this all get? Yeah. Um, it, it just – anyway, um, so this is, the, this is the, the, the toxic, toxic family that Jacob has created and the terrible, terrible situation that he finds himself in. And you would think that somebody who has done this many bad things – Mm. God would give up. You know, for years, mm. you know, God would be like, nah, Jacob, he's done. Mm. I'm going to have to go and find somebody else. And it's not like there's not going to be somebody else to find because, you know, a long time further into the future, hundreds and hundreds, 400 years into the future, we've got the story of, say, for instance, Balaam. Mm. Balaam's from Mesopotamia. He's got no connection to this family whatsoever at all, but he's a follower of the true God. And so there were followers of the true God all over the world. So it's not like God couldn't have gone and chosen somebody else, but he persists because he sees the potential that there is in Jacob. And I think that there's some real encouragement here because when we look at our own lives, I think that we are so often, you know, we, we become discouraged and we think, well, I've sinned and I've sinned and, I've, and then I've sinned again. You know, am I ever going to get this right with God? And we start to look at ourselves rather than looking at God. And the devil gets on our case and says, yeah, you've, you've done that before a whole bunch of times. You're going to do it again in the future, so just give up. Mm. And the moral of the story here is not to give up because God doesn't give up on us. And he certainly could have given up on Jacob because this is going on generation after generation. Mm. And, you know, most of us, I think, would have long given up on Jacob at this particular point. But God doesn't. Anyway, keep reading the story. Where are we up to? Um, so we got up to, it says, so that, in verse 16, it says, so that evening, Jacob was coming home from the fields and Leah went out to meet him. You must come and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you and with some mandrakes, uh, that my son, that my son found. So that night he slept with Leah and God answered Leah's prayer and she became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. She named him Issachar. For she said, God has rewarded me, uh, sorry, God has rewarded me for giving my servant 
to my husband as a wife. Then Leah became pregnant again, and she gave birth to a yeah, sixth son. There, but this story, it seems that, you know, if I'm reading between the lines here, Leah is not receiving a whole lot of affection. Mm. It seems that Leah stopped having children not because of any physical issue, but simply because she wasn't getting an affection from her husband. Mm. And the only way that she's going to get that is to buy it. Yeah, well. Because Jacob loves Rachel, and so he sleeps with Rachel at night. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It continues on. It says, God answered Leah's prayer. She became pregnant again. Oh, sorry. And then it says, um, then Leah became pregnant again, and she gave birth to a sixth son of Jacob. Named he, She named him Zebulun, for she said, God has given me good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I have given him six sons. Later, she gave birth to the daughter, to a daughter, and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said. And she named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family. Yep. Go. You know what's so interesting here? So so Rachel hasn't had any kids other than... For all of these years. Other than Jacob. Whereas, like, Leah and the two maids, they're, they're Pump like, out. pumping out children. Yes. Okay. And by the time they're finished pumping out children, like, the last one to come is Joseph. And Joseph's the guy who would save the entire family later down the line. Yes. From destruction. Yes. And so I think this is actually really interesting. Like, so basically, Jacob's gone and made all these bad decisions and pumped out all this kid, all these kids. And as a result, they're going to end up in a really difficult situation later on. And the one last kid to come, well, we know that Benjamin would come later. Uh, but this last child that Rachel has, that Rachel herself has, has that God opens child that her, she finally has, yeah, that she finally has, would be the one that would save them all from destruction. Which is interesting. I know that as a result they end up in Egypt, but I feel like their their fate is sealed for destruction before this point by the fact that he's had all these kids and... It was certainly set up for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where, you know, sealed, but certainly set up for it. Yeah, 100%. It's interesting. It's mm-hmm. interesting to consider an alternative history where, you know... Rachel had never been married to Jacob and mm. he had stuck with Leah and Joseph had never been born and then Joseph had never, you know, been arrogant about his dreams and so therefore he'd never been sold into Egyptian captivity. Mm. Um, so many different ways that God could have provided for Jacob and his family. Mm. But, you know, this is how it works out. Mm. Uh, what a what a twisted, a twisted, messed up story we have. Mm. Okay, let's continue on here. What have we got coming up next? Uh, it says here in verse 23, Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you. And let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Guys, we have the final clue for the quiz for the week. You have to you have to get in now. 
You have to. Like, this is it. Um, all right. Let's, let's do the last couple of clues, actually. I told Daniel that as soon as he had begun to pray, an answer was sent from heaven. And then the clue that we just read before, I told Mary that she would give birth to the Son of God. And now, I am an angel. Just that that's who this guy is. Literally an angel. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do, you will go into the draw to win Growing with Jesus Volumes 1 and 2 with Mark and Ernestine Finley. Guys, please get your answers in so that you can go into the draw for the prize. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's head back to our Bible story. Let's pick it up. Uh, let's see here in verse 25. In verse 25, it says, So when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go back to my own country. Let me take my wives and my children, for I have earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. Okay, so we're 14 years in now. This has been a long period of time, and Jacob decides it's time to leave. It's not healthy for him to be staying here, but you can imagine for Laban, he's going to kind of miss his grandchildren. Wait, wait, wait. So so it's in this seven-year period where all these babies get pumped out. Yes. That's that's. It's a very, very fast-growing family, but families can grow very fast when you are sleeping with four women at the same time. That means that when... uh, Reuben here does the uh, the the harvest. He's like six because he's the oldest one. So he's like six years old helping out with the harvest, helping out on the farm. It wouldn't be unreasonable. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now he's like, all right, I want to get out of here. I've got like heaps of kids and four wives. Let me leave. Okay. And let's see, what, let's see what Laban says. Now, Laban says in response, he says, Please listen to me. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. And Jacob replied, You know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth had increased enormously. The Lord had blessed you through everything I've done. But now, what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? What wages do you want? Laban asked again. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do one thing and I'll continue to tend to watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep. Give me, give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as a wage, you'll see that I have been Honest. If you find in my flock any goats without speckles or spots, or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen from you. Okay, so pretty uh, straightforward kind of a, an agreement right here. Yeah. And one that's very transparent. Mm. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, Jacob... Jacob suspects that he's going to be, he clearly suspects that Laban's going to accuse him of something at some particular point. Mm. He doesn't trust his father-in-law as far as he can kick a post hole. Mm. And so he's like, you know, if I, if I ask for these kind of wages or those kind of wages, and of course this is the days before, you know, currency. Currency was, would not be invented for, you know, a thousand, more than a thousand years later. Mm. And so, you know, currency was possessions. And so if you've got a whole bunch of flocks and herds and, and Laban says, I'll give you a tenth of them or I'll give you a twentieth of them or whatever it might be, then he could always accuse Jacob, like, Jacob, your flocks are bigger than mine, so how did that happen when I was only giving you, say, you know, a twentieth a, a of mine, you know, because obviously Jacob was a good farmer and he was blessed by the Lord. And so 
you know, Jacob knows that he can be falsely accused right here. Mm. And he's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with any false accusation. Yeah. So here's an easy way to do it. These are my, these are my terms. What do you say? Mm. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, all right. Laban replied, it is as you say. But that very day, Laban went out and removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted or had white patches and all the black sheep. He placed them in the care of his own sons who took them a three days journey from where Jacob was. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed and cared for the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took some fresh branches of poplar, almond, palm trees, and peeled strips of bark and making white streaks on them. Then he placed these peeled branches in water troughs where the flocks came to drink, for that was where they made it. And when they had made it in front of the white streaked branches, it, and they gave birth, um, sorry, they gave birth to young that were streaked and speckled and spotted. Jacob separated those lands from Laban's flock, and at mating time, he turned to the flock to face Laban's animals uh, that were streaked and all black. This is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of um, old wives' tales that are coming through here. Uh-huh. I don't think the Bible is saying that you know this will cause uh, spotted animals to be born. Uh-huh. The Bible is not saying that this is what did it. It's just saying what Jacob did. Mm. Uh, the fact that Jacob's flocks and herds grew rapidly as a result of this is because of the blessings of God and yeah, right. good husbandry on Jacob's part, not because of, you know. That's there's, a- no, there's no indication that these particular uh, branches in their water trough was having any effect on what they were producing. Yeah, that's so true. Like, and people would accuse the Bible at that point. They're like, oh, this is how the Bible thinks different variations in colors and sheep happens. Like, that's so silly. But then if you read, like, the Exodus story, Moses, like, puts a stick on the ground and as a result, the Dead Sea opens up. Or, the, sorry, the Red Sea opens up. Like, clearly, this was these were just, like, um, like these things were really taking place, but it wasn't that the stick itself was causing the water, the sea to open. It was that God was working. And we see that taking place here as well. So cool. Uh, continues on. It says, whenever the stronger females were ready to mate, Jacob would place the peeled branches and the watering troughs in front of them. Then they would mate in front of the branches. But he didn't do this with the weaker ones. So the weaker lambs belonged to Laban and the stronger ones were Jacob's. As a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep, and goats, and female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. Okay, so you read through this story here, and, you know, Jacob has had a swift one pulled on him because Laban's like, yeah, sure, you can have all of the spotted animals, takes them all, and sends them three days' journey away. <laughs> so, Such a Laban move. So petty. And so then Jacob's like, fine, I have some witchcraft here that I will involve myself in to create <laughs> uh, bigger flocks and herds than you. And... As a result of good husbandry and the blessing of God, his flocks do become bigger, not because of the uh, of the dodginess that he involves himself in with in or the old wives' tale that he involves mm. himself in with this particular uh, story that we have right here. Um, but yeah, in, in many ways, you can see these two guys working against each other. Mm. You know, Jacob and Laban are competitors; they are working against each other. They are family. Yeah, so they're not openly enemies as well. It's just this awkward, like, back and forth that's taking place. And super underhanded. Mm. I mean, 
Can you imagine the stress and the tension and the discomfort and the just the dysfunction of living here as a part of this mm. family at this time? It would be very, very challenging to deal with. Mm. All right. <clears throat> Verse uh, chapter 31 and verse 1, he heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was ours and our father's, and that which was our father's has he gotten all this glory. So it seems that Jacob does become very wealthy, much wealthier than Laban. Yeah. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and it was not toward him. Mm. The Lord said to Jacob, Return unto the land of your fathers and of your kindred, and I will be with you there. Mm. And so we find that Jacob is in a hard place right now because Laban doesn't like him. Mm. Laban's sons don't like him. Esau doesn't like him. Where's he going to go? Nobody likes him. <laughs> you know, and, and you can kind of see why he needs to have another encounter with God, which he does, which we're going to read about next week. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's, it's time for the draw, Lyle. It's time for the draw. So everyone, get ready. Here we go. We're about to spin the wheel in three, two, one. It... Oh, there you go. You can hear it. It's spinning, slowing down. And, oh, and the winner is Vincent. Congratulations. Oh, it's clapping. (laughs) The winner is Vincent. Congratulations. Actually, can we get Vincent on the phone? Do we have him there? Okay. Yeah, we're getting nods from producer Shell. Vincent, are you there with us? Yeah, hi. Yeah, Vincent, congratulations. You went out for Isaac this week. The two uh, the two volume set of Growing in Jesus by Mark and Ernestine Finley. How are you feeling? And pretty good, yeah, pretty good. Something yeah, we all we all gotta grow in Jesus, eh? Hey? Amen. I totally yeah. agree with you. It's so necessary. So thank you so much for getting on the phone with us this morning. Uh, we are going to now get into our next segment of the show, which will be the Question of the day. All right, well, our question of the day today is, um, the Bible says that Rebecca was told Jacob would receive God's blessing and be the spiritual leader of his family. Is that, is that the, is that the one? This one, this one right oh, here. sorry. It's the one underneath. Yes. What was Saul, sorry. What was Saul referring to when he said the Philistines would abuse him? Okay, so this is from 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 4. And, of course, what had taken place here is that Saul uh, was in battle against the Philistines. He knew that this battle was going to come the next day. And uh, the day before, he'd gone to the witch of Endor. And so he had basically gone and asked Satan for you know, direction mm. as to how he would pursue this war. And Satan turns up in the form of Samuel and just basically says, yeah, tomorrow you're all going to be dead. So that's what Satan tells to Saul. And so... Um, and, and, and the next day the battle goes badly, the, uh, the Israelites are routed, and what typically took place in these ancient battlefields is that you'd have these two armies that would come together. Typically it would be more of a melee than anything. There wasn't mm. a lot of strategy involved. It was typically won by force of numbers, mm. uh, but also by skill and availability of weapons. Uh, it seems that, you know, the real killing would not take place in the initial engagement. Mm. But sooner or later, someone would break and run. And once someone broke and run, what it would do is it would break the, uh, the, the bystander effect, so to speak, because then it would give permission for other people to break and run. And so whichever side had someone who broke and run first, then the rest of them would start you know, there would be other people starting to break and run. They'd be like, well, if he's running, he's obviously figured that this battle is lost and he's 
noping out of here, so I'm going to nope out of here as well. Mm. Uh, and then suddenly you'd get a rush and one side would completely run. And that's where the real killing would take place. Mm. Most people died, died from a wound in their back, not a wound in the front. Mm. And this is why you've got, you know, some armies in the ancient world that were very, very successful, even though they were very, very small. Say, for instance, Spartacus' army, because Spartacus' army didn't have anywhere to run to. Mm. And so they never would. They never died with wounds in their backs. Um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, the ancient world, you know, this is, this is where... And, and, so, and so the Israelite army has broken. It's running. Uh, Saul is running and he is wounded and he knows he can't make it and he's probably suffering from loss of blood and he's weak and he knows that the Philistines are going to catch up to him. And so he tells his armor bearer to kill him. And so what it says is this. Uh, then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was very, very afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. So it's a pretty hectic story here. Mm. A really, really awful end that, you know, I can't imagine how difficult it would be and how desperate you would have to be to be able to actually do something like this to yourself. And somebody wants to know, what does it mean by uh, abuse? What would the Philistines actually do? Now, there are various different commentaries on this. The answer is we don't know. So first of all, let's look in context. Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through. The context here indicates that Saul does not want to be killed by a Philistine. Mm. Uh, because, you know, and, and, and the context is being thrust through with a sword. People have looked at this and said, well, you know, there's some, some, some double meanings happening here. Um, and it continues on and says, abuse me. In the, in the more modern translation, it says, Saul groaned in his arm, groaned to his armor bearer, says, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come through, come and run me through and taunt me and torture me. Some people have, you know, some commentaries will claim that this is a threat of rape. He's afraid of being raped by the Philistines. It's not entirely impossible. Typically, probably what would be more Typical in those days would that they would be would that would be that they would cut his genitals off. Mm. Uh, that was a very common form of torture, particularly for a captured king before killing him. And so it was one of those two scenarios. We don't know exactly because the Bible, the language of the Bible, is not specific. Either of those scenarios could be possible. Either of those scenarios was pretty horrific, and neither of those, you know, suicide was in Saul's mind, a, a better option than either of whatever those scenarios might be. Need to give us a call. Fantastic stuff. All right, that brings us to the end of our show today. Quick reminder, spend some time with Jesus. And if you'd like to be along to a small group Bible study, give us a call here. We have small groups or we're in contact with small groups operating right across Australia. There will be one somewhere in your area. I'm pretty sure unless you are super remote in which case we'll get you involved with a Zoom version. All right, don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.